Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. We're continuing our series on conflict by talking about conflict at Christmas or Hanukkah or any family gathering really, but specifically to gatherings for the holidays when we have heightened expectations, memories come flooding in, and we can very often find ourselves with our families feeling like that little kid and some of the frustrations and problems and dynamics that were in place in childhood can rear up in real time, even though we're adults. Elliot and I did an Instagram Live today, Christmas Eve, on this topic, and we're hoping to share it with you to help you prepare for your family gatherings this holiday season. Our conversation about family conflict at Christmas, right after this. So we're getting some Merry Christmases from folks. Thank you for joining us. It was kind of short notice, but we really wanted to say something at this most important time of year and say something that would be relevant and helpful. So if you have any questions, we centered it around conflict because that's been the theme that we've been addressing recently in our series. And so we thought, well, there can be conflict at Christmas and families come together with the best intentions and they want to have that that it's the most wonderful time of the year. They want to have this blissful Christmas, but oftentimes there can be tension. And Elliot and I were just talking about it before we got, we hopped on just a lot of that tension can be from these deep family wounds that we grow and move away. And then we come home for the holidays and maybe some of that woundedness can resurface. So let's talk about it. Just a couple general principles for going home for the holidays And this is based on family systems theory and therapy, which we are both well-versed in. Actually, that was the theme of my dissertation, and Elliot has used it extensively with the couples he works with. So I will continue to wave at people. Elliot, some just preliminary thoughts. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that where we have the most conflict is almost always where we have the most intimacy. Mm. And that intimacy doesn't always mean it's easy intimacy or positive intimacy, but simply intimacy. So even for Karen and I, a couple of uh, long-standing psychotherapists with tremendous backgrounds and reading psychological books, I've read two over break already, super fired up, another book on attachment, I can't wait to share with your viewers more on that. Ooh. And yet, even for me and you, Karen, I think we can get easily triggered once we're back in the whole family clan. Uh, I know I can often slip very quickly into middle child rep- <laughs> Healed and holy pastor. <laughs> so, so it's a, it's so easy with the vulnerability of the systemic. All everybody back together again, even if it's 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later, uh, that intimacy is so raw, so profound. It just brings back all the memories, all the thoughts, all the emotions. Your your phone um, must have gone silent for a second. Maybe a call was coming in or a text. Yes, a call came in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you can silence that. Or is it on silent? I don't know. Paige, we need his daughter. Okay, well, only because it cut out at kind of a key time of what you were talking. So maybe just re-summarize that a little bit. Um, Yeah, I was just just talking about even for you and I, this reality of the family dynamic when everyone's back together, as much as we're having fun and we're super glad and super excited, uh, those 
post-traumatic even emotions and responses can come so fast a parent just looks at you a certain way or a sibling just says something a little bit with a little tinge of sarcasm or condemnation and boom the old styles can come out so fast and we found ourselves having zero conflict going in not nervous not stressed excited and then all of a sudden we're getting stomach aches and headaches and frustration and we just feel like we want to leave and so yeah it's just a raw environment that's a really well put the a raw environment well i'll give a personal example you know i always like to concretize things so i think it was very recently when we were all together as a family and I gave Doug, which is our niece's husband, he's building a deck on the back of their home. So he's super, he's brilliant. He's a actuary and he's so smart and so kind. We love him. So love you, Doug. And I gave him, wait, no, I gave him a compliment about like how he learned how to do all that. Because I mean, I don't know. I, we didn't grow up just like randomly knowing how to build decks. <laughs> so I said something and then you just said something that probably if anyone else on the planet had said it to me, I would have just laughed. But you said it, and I just felt like I was the little sister who was being criticized, and whatever I say is stupid, and I went to that place, <laughs> and I was just like, look at you, like, that was a perfectly legitimate thing I just said to Doug. Why are you so mean to me? <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, totally, and I didn't, mean, I didn't mean for it to come off the way it did. It sounded extremely insensitive and demeaning, and I didn't mean that at all, but uh, not only did I see your reaction and felt bad and, and eventually apologized. I don't know if I did right away, but uh, my daughters gave me the riot act later. <laughs> what were you doing that for? That was so mean. It was I was not trying to be that particular time. I'm a very capable potster, so I do enjoy agitational relational connection with my family and, and best friends. But this was not one of those times where I was trying to do that. It was just it, the word that is, is so common right now, and it, it's apropos. Is it just triggered me in a way that, like, it, like I said, anyone else on the planet, I'd have been like, ha ah, ha ha, and I was like, why is he always so mean to me? Yeah, and it does. It takes me back to being that little girl with two big brothers and trying to impress you guys and trying to be cool like you and fit in like you and and feeling like, no, you will never, you will never be cool. You will never be like competent and capable like your big brothers. It's so. It's like, yeah, another, exa- another example that wasn't a negative one at all, like that one, well, it wasn't negative, it was just a, a realistic view of that, is when we did the gig with Warren, the three of us, which was a ton of fun, we haven't, we don't get to do a lot of that anymore, uh, Warren was tired and worn out and wasn't in the mood to leave. Well, in a musical setting, we defer to him 180% of the time, as does most of the known world. <laughs> and so we, uh, you were having to leave the entire thing, and you did great, but I watched as the drummer sitting from behind, I watched the interaction. You were constantly looking to him like, what do you want to do next? You know, you were deferring to his obvious uh, expertise in this area. And he'd pencil in a little bit with a certain look or a little comment, but most time he deferred his firstborn place and his musical leader place. And that throws the whole systemic off. Even though it was fun, even though I think we did really well, it was still, a, there's an awkwardness to it simply by the traditional stated and experienced family dynamics altering for two hours, even though it altered fine. It was not fine. It was... I, so, okay, first of all, Warren is way better piano player than, than me. So whenever you're gigging, as you know from all the years playing with Dad, the piano player, which Dad would have been the boss at no matter what instrument he was playing, but the piano player tends to kind of set the tone. 
And you're right. I and I, when I gig out with my guitar player from Chicago that I was in bands with, and I, we gig out down here, I'm like, boom, boom. This is what we're doing. I'm in charge. Not when it's my older older brother who is gigging with me. I mean, I totally defer. You warn me. You're like, Warren's going to end up stepping up. <laughs> and I was like, no, I got this. I can do this. And with even with my limited keyboard ab- abilities, I've played enough gigs on the keys. But I ba- basically was like, oh, no, this is going to sound stupid with me and the keys. He should play. <laughs> it was so I totally went into that family dynamic space. That is not the way I am. I am pretty capable when, I, when I'm with other musicians but yeah it was funny but we'll be ready for next year yeah and he, so that's, these are good examples for the listeners mm-hmm. to, to recognize even when you're aware and consciously talking through them as you and did you and I did beforehand and Warren and I did beforehand since I drove up with them uh, it still doesn't mean it throws the system off a bit and everyone has to respond accordingly so Back to a, a traditional family dynamic for your listeners or viewers, you're getting along great with your siblings now. Maybe your kids get along great with their kids. You got multiple generations still recognizing that we're vulnerable in these Christmas moments, in these birthday moments. We're very vulnerable and just being highly um, hyper alert to our sensory responses, our visceral responses. And, and recognize when we do get triggered, like you did when I demeaned you about the, the gift, which was a very good gift. Um, when we get triggered like that, to be alert, aware, and even self-conscious enough to say something privately if possible, if you needed to confront me, which was fine. In our family, we're pretty dramatic. Normal will just come out with something, but other family dynamics, that might not be appropriate. Um, and then just making a mental note to ourselves if we don't feel like we want to confront something about, wow, okay, this triggered me a little bit. That's because I'm the younger sister. I felt this way. Because otherwise, what happens if we if we swallow two or three or four of those we can find ourselves two hours into the event and just saying, I just want to go home. Right. I don't feel like being here anymore. And we're not even sure what we're upset about. We're just like, I'm just tired. It's yeah. just frustrating. And, and so if we're not hyper aware and alert and then either grab our friend aside or our boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or mother or somebody we trust not to bad mouth or triangulate our family, but to just say, Hey, I, I'm sorry. I got a little quiet there. I'm sorry. I got a little frustrated there. It just triggered some memories and, you know, you and I are a couple of psychologists here. We certainly ought to be able to go out to the kitchen quick and <laughs> work through it. But if we're not totally aware of what happened and how we respond, then it can kind of keep piling up on us. Well, in full disclosure, typically I just yell at you and you laugh at me and then it's diffused. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm glad my nieces have my back and then <laughs> lay into you later. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, that's why I wanted to make the difference. We're really vocal opinionated intellectual styled family event family right so we we tend to articulate deep complex things while we're opening presents (laughs) but not every family's like that so some families are very quiet very laid back very reserved so i want to make sure they know if they don't feel like dr karen and can just let loose a a uh, diatribe about psychological systems and codependency in the middle of a christmas present that they can they can find other ways to help themselves in those processes. Yeah, I mean, I think we do, like, I'll lash out. Like I said, I'll just be like, shut up or, (laughs) but, but I also think that there's times when we just bury things, maybe because it's not the time or the place, but also I think it it goes back to conflict styles, which we've been talking about so much. So maybe I shouldn't say we, I should say I, as 
what am I, teddy bear turtle? Yeah. Yeah. So a turtle, again, for anyone who hasn't listened to those episodes, I would encourage everyone to go ahead and take the quiz online. It's a lot of fun and it's a, a nice model that you can use to kind of understand your own re- reactions and responses. And then certainly in partnership, like, whoa, he didn't respond the way I would have. Well, he's not your same conflict style. So check those episodes out. But I, li- I like the idea, Elliot, what you said. I think it's really helpful because, I mean, it's Christmas Eve. People will be going to these family gatherings if they haven't already. I like the idea of just mentally preparing yourself. Like, I'm probably going to have some moment in this gathering that's going to throw me back to these early sibling dynamics or family dynamics in general and I may start feeling like that five-year-old little girl in the midst of my current life, and I'm going to feel that same intensity of emotion. So just to be prepared for it, I think, is, is one good uh, kind of pro tip for these family gatherings. Yeah, another point I think is helpful is uh, limiting your time. If you know you're more vulnerable after two, three hours, after a couple glasses of wine, maybe uncle so-and-so, after he drinks four or five beers, gets acidic with his mouth recognize time frames involved systemics involved and not feel trapped or imprisoned because sometimes though it's fun in, in theory to be with your family board and all the really cousins and everybody else for like eight nine hours in a row you're almost setting yourself up for, for some dramatic responses so if you've struggled in the past or you're really healing or you're just freshly aware of some wounds maybe build up both emotionally and mentally Hey, I can do an hour and a half. I can do two hours. I'm going to make sure I get my meal. I'm going to make sure I even step outside, um, have a smoke break, or whatever else you do to help yourself relax, or call somebody and um, you know go online and read something, do some breathing exercises. Often, I will go do something kinesthetic. I'll, I'll go over to the kitchen quick while everyone else is in the family room. I'll do some push-ups when I can feel some kind of systemic stress coming on or something, or, or just pace around the house a little bit, get moving find uh, Oreo, my mom's cat, make sure I pet Oreo for a little bit. Figuring out little biosensory, physiological, spiritual ways that you can prepare yourself, talk through it, um, doing a debriefing ahead of time um, with your significant other or someone you trust, and then doing debriefing afterwards. Um, I remember dad talking to us about doing that with his family and, and mom's family because there was mm-hmm. such stark differences, and then I married a very similar endeavor where city folk and country folk and so angie and i would debrief going into our house and coming out and then going into her house and coming out and just walking through it because it's very helpful because it, it does everything changes and and in our case and with many of the listeners um family dynamics have changed because one of the parents has moved on and so the entire family system for us changed when dad died and so there was the strong strong patriarchal leader who dictated everything and that was up for grabs and mom did a great job continuing traditions, but we automatically look to Warren to be the patriarchal leader. And I think at times he feels totally great and willing to do that and loves the role. Other times he's tired, he's fatigued, he needs the rest, and they'll abdicate a little bit. And so then who's going to step in? How are we going to do that? And in a family full of leaders and sharks, it's normally not a big deal. But for other families, that could be awkward and tense-filled as well. Well, I think you make a really good point about recognizing all the other family members and where they might be triggered throughout the the season. So preparing, like you said, for the uncle who's going to be drinking too much and then gets kind of sarcastic or cruel or so I'm I'm thinking about like even for us, because mom gets keyed up for Christmas because she's just 
puts so much of her heart into it and she makes this beautiful meal and she is such a gifts are her love language so are we have this enormous number of gifts and she's been that way you know even when we were in the 70s and they were young and didn't have a whole lot of resources Christmas was always a big deal and to know that she's going to be kind of keyed up and one of the things you always do is just start teasing her and she just giggles and that helps to fuse you know because you've always had that relationship with her just to to make her laugh to help her kind of relax but it's it's good to remember that everyone else is going to be a little bit different too because of the the because of the season and because of the the nostalgia and the pain because yeah here we are gathering and dad's not there and all of us will have moments of grieving throughout the day but those are all great points and like you said mom's already vulnerable because traditions and holidays are enormously important to her yeah. But then the vulnerability of being a widow still, even though it's been six years and she's great in her widowhood, staying productive, staying moving, not sinking into the depression, which is always there when you lose your life partner for 58 years. And so, yeah, she's done awesome, but she is extra vulnerable. And you are right. I intentionally very quickly try to help her lighten by knowing how to, even at times teasing her about the very structure that she provides that's so important but just to try to get her to relax a little bit and rest a little bit because when things get off task or off target, she gets very vulnerable for feeling rejected and, and discouraged. Mm-hmm. And and not that all of us don't have some of that on a Christmas season, but when right. you're the matriarch now and the one providing and is setting it, it's, it's significant. Another thing, a, a piece of advice, you know, I don't often like to get straight advice. Well, actually, I probably do. <laughs> this is advice for our listeners as well is these kind of gatherings tonight and tomorrow are not the time to bring up significant issues that are outside of this holiday. You know, it's not a time to say, hey, by the way, July 4th, you really ticked me off. <laughs> and I want to walk through that. Yeah. I'm glad you feel the need to bring that up and to get some closure on, some resolve and negotiate and uh, meander through that. But not now, not during the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day celebrations. It's really a time to keep it focused on the present and I think at times, Karen, because of, uh, as a nation, as a whole, we're not very good confronters or challengers. We sometimes take advantage of the time when we're all together and bring things up at a time when it's not it's not appropriate. Like your mom just laid down the dinner for everybody or something, and then you're like, hey, by the way, mom, you said something six weeks ago that really, really hurt me. And I'm like, oh, boy, now what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Right? So I appreciate the desire to take advantage of the time when everybody's there. But I say uh, in these big, big events like this, stay in the present, stay in the moment, stay in the actual festivities and activities and celebrations, and then set up a separate time to bring up some other issue. Yeah, that's an important point because especially, like you said, family gatherings in general can bring up a lot of these issues and these wounds. But then you add Christmas, which for our culture is pretty much the biggest holiday, I think for most people. And so you're gonna add all that extra expectation, energy, like I said, nostalgia slash grieving slash all kinds. So it's already a heightened time emotionally. So to be aware of that. And also, I mean, this kind of leads me into, you mentioned someone like, here we are sitting down for the Christmas ham. And someone's like, and another thing about July 4th, like we got to think about the context. And one of the things that we've talked about extensively, you and I have, and it's something that's really relevant to the family systems literature, it's kind of an integral facet of family systems, is 
triangulation. And it's so easy to do. It's our human nature to go and lasso in a third person or fourth, fifth, sixth person. But the, the term is called triangulation because say I have some beef with mom, it's easy for me to go and talk to you about it because we both understand our mom and I can be like, well, you know, mom's like this. And you're like, yeah, she's like this. And so now we've agreed and we feel confirmed and validated in our opinion about this other person. And it's just really not fair, A, because I'm going to then align with you. And then it creates this alliance with another family member against, I mean, I put that in air quotes because even if it's it's not really like trying to come come at her. But that what it does is it doesn't give the person the, the opportunity to speak for themselves. And it deteriorates the intimacy between my mother and me. Every time we triangulate another person in the family, we are bonding with the person in response to the other family member. And it diminishes the intimacy that we have and the potential intimacy we could have if we'd actually take that concern, that conflict, that problem to the person who we actually have the issue with. Yeah, some families are like professional triangulators. Yeah. Like they don't know other ways of communicating or connecting. And so it's really something to be conscious of. And most of the time in my own sense of um, self and communication, whether it's at the university or with family or my church, I try to think of myself as I'm getting ready to share something. Would I share this in this exact same way with that person right here? Right. But if I feel pretty confident I would, I will go forward and even state to the person, hey, I'm going to, we'll just use mom as the example, so I'm going to go ahead and talk to mom about this later anyway, but I just want to get your thought on it. Right. So then I'm setting myself up for some accountability. So if I did it with you and Warren, hey, I'm going to talk to you about Warren, but let's talk to him together about this later. Um, or if I talk to Warren and saying, hey, we got this issue with Karen right now, then let's talk to her about it later. So we're setting ourselves up for the idea that, hey, let's not triangulate, let's not be separate from each other, and it really creates tremendous codependency. But let's be interdependent again. We're all siblings together. We're all family together. We're all colleagues together. And, and make sure we're not accidentally or incidentally living basically in a secondary intimacy communication style. And often then we'll, we'll assume we've talked to the th- person we've talked about. A week later, we'll act like, well, we already talked to mom about that. No, we didn't. We talked about her about that, but we didn't talk with her right. about that. So triangulation can be... Um, uh, a capitulation or a repeat or a sorry Twinkie scratching at the door not a baby a, a non-stop um, process that causes damage for a long long time well and it's like you said it is it is a key element of many families like that's pretty much the only way they relate to in as you called it the secondary intimacy they forge intimacy with one another by basically talking junk about someone else in the family and some families if they don't triangulate they wouldn't even know what to talk about yeah so if someone's got to kind of take charge in the family system if you're listening and and thinking oh my goodness that's all our family does someone's got to just start to change the narrative it'll take a long time mm-hmm. so don't feel like you got to solve it tonight and tomorrow but start somewhere start just begin to start saying oh i'm just going to talk directly to mom or directly to john or directly to whoever about this issue and not talk to my sister about it who never talks to my brother either or whatever just trying to slowly change those processes it'll take a long time but it's so worth it it'll, it'll feel, everything will feel cleaner and healthier and more holistic and you have to be prepared for a lot of resistance because say your sister is used to coming to you to talk about your other sister and so then when sister a comes to you to talk about sister b 
and you tell Sister A, hey, you know, I'm just trying to work on some, she's going to really hate you, especially if you say it like this. I'm trying to work on healthy family boundaries. And so it's better if you have a problem with Sister B, please go and, and talk to her directly. I really don't want to be in the middle of that kind of stuff. She's going to be really angry because she has gotten used to you affirming her complaint and being there to be like, yeah, you're right. Sister B is a pain in the butt, whatever. So you have to be ready, be prepared because whenever we change a boundary and triangulation is all about boundaries, there will be resistance because we're changing the dance steps of the family dance. And people are like, no, this this is the do-si-do we do. (laughs) And when you move to a waltz, they are not going to like that. Yeah, I think it takes a minimum of like two to three years. Oh, yeah. So recognize, hey, this is what I need to do to be healthier, be more whole. This is what's right. And just slowly and surely. And we pass these things down to our next generation, too. So recognize, hey, i got to make sure I'm building the right kind of holistic interdependence in my children and the children and the cousins so we don't accidentally just keep passing down certain things, certain things, certain things, because they'll just continue. And it's hard. It's a lot easier to go to another family member to gripe about the other family member than it is to directly go to the family member that you have beef with. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's much harder. Yeah, and, and there is that piece, like you said, that feels validating. That, oh, well, you agree that this person's a pain in the butt too. <laughs> but, you know, what? It, one of the things I think about, <clears throat> I used to give this example when I would teach this in my classes, And I think it's a really good way to remember that by you pulling yourself out of the triangulation, by you pulling yourself out, you're giving the other two members an opportunity to have that primary intimacy and to develop it. By you staying in the middle of it, even as you're like, well, I got to be a good sister and listen to my other sister talk about the other sister, you feel like you're being a good sister. But what you're really doing is denying them the opportunity to have their intimacy. I'll give an example because I like this one and it's a really clear one. Parents, sometimes if they have problems in their marriage, they may like, oh, I'm going to go talk to my adult children because, well, they're adults now. They can handle this. So maybe mom comes to adult daughter and says, well, your dad, this and this and this. This triangulation can be particularly damaging, especially say if the if the young girl, she's 20 something, she's on the dating scene. For her to hear all this stuff that's going on in her parents' marriage is really unhealthy Her mom thinks, well, my daughter's an adult now. I can come to her with these kind of adult problems. And the mom feels validated if she can get her daughter to agree with her on this, that, and the other. And if the daughter listens, again, she is denying the mom and dad the opportunity to get to that next level of intimacy as they are now empty nesters or whatever the case may be. And if if the daughter engages in that triangulation, not only does she deny the parents the opportunity to have that intimacy, but it's also going to potentially put her in the position to have issues with her father that aren't her issues because how her father is as a husband is not her business nor her problem he may be the best husband the worst husband but her job as an adult daughter is to have an adult relationship with her father and work and work on that growth and development as that primary relationship for them so mom may feel like oh it feels so good to get this off my chest that's not healthy for the daughter and it may damage her ability to look for a male, male partnership as she's moving into the direction of trying to find her person. So you have to think about the layers of problems that can come from something like this and be very savvy and understanding that when you are saying, mom, you know, and it would be something like, mom, I can't really listen to this. I know you're hurting in your marriage. Please go talk to 
a counselor. <laughs> Please go into couples therapy. Please go talk to your, your friend, Jenny, about this, who's also got problems in her marriage. Don't bring it to me because as a daughter, I need to work on my adult relationship with my father, father-daughter relationship. This isn't my business, nor can I do anything about it, and it's not helpful. A lot of moms will probably come back with, well, what about the mom-daughter relationship, right? And try to guilt yes. you or, or manipulate you back, and you just got to hold your ground because when that happens, and it happens frequently, it brings undeniable stress into your own heart as the child. When yeah. you get brought to the parental you know, level, the parental level, then the child level, then the grandchild level. And when a child gets brought up in the parental level, even when you're in your 40s, it doesn't matter. Right. It's not the place you're supposed to be in. And so recognizing quickly to say something, and usually fairly directly, which again, feels like we're being mean, but we're not. We're protecting the family values. We're protecting the marital values. We're protecting family systemic and trying to create that health and wholeness. Establishing a boundary feels mean at first. That's why I wanted to give some examples where you really flesh out why boundaries are loving. And think about it this way. It's not only loving to yourself because you really don't need to know that mess in the marriage. It's not going to be helpful for you at all. But also it's loving to them, as I said earlier, because what you do by cutting off that triangulation, you, you provide mom more impetus and more motivation to go and directly have that conversation with her husband. Yeah, maybe she needs to feel a little bit of that remorse for triangulating, which will hopefully motivate her. She might be down, might be frustrated, but hopefully motivate her um, towards a healthy response or finding someone else. Another angle to bring up is when, like, our our father, let's say, then treats our child in the way that we don't respect or appreciate. That's another one of those lines that's very difficult in family dynamics where you're like, I didn't like the way my dad talked to me when I was that age. Now he's talking to my son at that age. What do we do? And I think we do need to speak up. We do need to say, maybe not confront in front of the whole family, but talk to father, pull him aside in the garage or the kitchen or something, say, hey, dad, you know, I appreciate your respect. I appreciate your intensity, whatever else you want to say to kind of affirm him in some way. But uh, I'd appreciate if you don't do Johnny in this way or that you allow me to be the father to set the discipline or the authority in, in, in this scenario. And those are going to be difficult conversations. But when we let our parents then treat our children in ways that we're not comfortable with, it's going to be a whole dynamic where that stress and that pain and that frustration just rises. And we're going to eventually choose either an inappropriate protest behavior or we're going to just retreat and pull away or just leave. And so that's another whole dynamic in the conflictual realm of family systems altogether. And again, best handled beforehand if there's a problem or an issue, talking to your father months in advance and saying, hey, this is what's happening. I've seen in the past. I'd like to make sure I address it with you. So come Christmas, if my son's misbehaving, would you let me please discipline him rather than you stepping in discipline? Uh, it takes so much work communication-wise and timing-wise, but man, does it solve and save some heartache, frustration, hurt, and pain. Yeah. And I can say as an aunt, that is different. Every member of the family will be a little bit more or less comfortable with you stepping in, depending on just what, yeah, their childhood and what, what, what kind of discipline they kind of expect from other family members in the family. Do they expect, hey, it, it's, it takes a village to raise this kid, so yeah, lay into a, that kid if he needs it. Or are they like, no, I'm the parent, it's my job, so I got this. And, yeah, so. When you have a bunch of cousins running around together, 
there's like four or five different disciplinary systems in play at once. Right. And so very chaotic, and so-and-so's allowed to do something, so-and-so's not. So-and-so's allowed to eat something, so-and-so's not. Yeah. Someone has to go to bed on time, someone can stay up, right? It just creates all kinds of different variables we just got to talk through and walk through, or it gets just super frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it's just there's so much to it that, and when I say to it, I mean there's just so much to family interactions. And as we've been sharing throughout this live, that the heightened intensity because of the holiday season and Christmas. And so, Elliot, as we wrap up, do you have any kind of parting thoughts? I feel better prepared for our family gathering on the 26th, so thank you. (laughs) That's good. Uh, I think it's just being conscious, be aware. You know, sometimes it feels healthier to be naive or to just blindly hope. It's just going to be better this year. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be better if you don't do something about it. So yeah. To, to be consciously aware, talk through it, debrief. Um, you know, I probably had uh, 16 sessions last week, which is almost double my normal week. One, because I was off. But two, because people were ramping up and knew the holidays and the family gatherings were coming and they wanted to walk through it. So some folks that were working on certain things in their sessions completely aborted that for that topic. The whole topic was just, how am I going to join my family this holiday season without feeling like I get hurt or I'm hurting someone, I'm getting rejected. And and so it's it's worthy of that type of attention. And so talking through, if you have a loved one, a trusted one, you can debrief with ahead of time about this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling. If you do have to make some preemptive phone calls or preemptive conversations, preferably not over text, uh, with significant family members, so there's face-to-face, heart-to-heart interaction, uh, and then just being mentally, emotionally present that day. This is going to sound so crazy, but make sure you get good sleep. Make sure you uh, get a healthy breakfast before you go with everybody. Make sure you're hydrated. <laughs> just like, I don't want to make it feel like they're going into a competition, but just the health and wellness awareness and what happens at the holidays all the time, right? Somebody gets sick and then the entire family's sick and now everyone's on extra edge. And recognize that that happens, we have to put the grace meter up a little bit higher. Yeah, and the sleep thing is no joke because we all know that we are more raw and um, easily um, triggered emotionally if we haven't had enough sleep. I want to say Bradley, Bradley, oh, um, oh, yeah, um, he was Obra. giving... <clears throat> he was giving you a shout out for uh, your book, Simon Says, which would be appropriate because um, we talked a lot about dad in this live. I just want to say thank you for everyone who joined us. I want to say thank you to Elliot for hopping on here. We got uh, to bounce because Bengals are coming on at noon central. Go Bengals! Who day? But yeah, we want to thank you guys for being part of our community and we've got some exciting things coming in the new year, but we just definitely wanted to make sure that we had a moment to share some thoughts as in these uh, most heightened, this most heightened emotionally time of year. Uh, we probably should do at some point, I don't know, because COVID's not over in terms of the responses that people had and the families, there was a lot of fracturing in families about how they stood uh, their position on such things. And so I think that probably would be useful to maybe do it early in the new year to do. Another reminder I should have talked about is is the Christmas season is not the time to debate politics and um, vaccinations and and any of those kind of things. It's just not a good time to do it. It's too raw and vulnerable. Yeah. Recognize if it feels like you you have to justify to yourself 
your own position, do it privately on another time, not in the big family gathering. It's just, it's asking for chaos, pain, and hurt that can often last a lifetime. So, so I'm glad you, glad you brought that piece up. So those 10 books I read on COVID, uh, it's not a good idea to... Not at Christmas. We can talk about them. Handing those out to everybody. <laughs> and I, I want to um, bless your listeners too, just to remind them that the family union is a gift from God. It is ordained by God as as the primary relational foundation for who we are. And so with that foundation comes the likelihood of pain and vulnerability and hurt, but also great joy, great reward, and, and great cohesiveness. So trying to be fully present on both sides of that dichotomy that, yes, there's going to be some pains and hurts that come with your family system automatically, but also to really choose the blessing and choose the joy and try to be extra gracious and extra loving with our family members when we tend to give that to complete strangers and give our family the worst. Yeah. So to put on our best behavior, our best love, our best soul, our best heart, and, and try to really enjoy Because we go in with that framework of I really want to enjoy my family rather than just I hope I can survive this three hours. It does make a difference. Yeah. Well, why don't you bless them with a prayer for the family gatherings? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time just to talk about conflict and Christmas and family time and and we do know lord this is a special season as we celebrate the birth of your son jesus christ and um as i preach about today and tomorrow lord bring peace to all men and and joy to the world and uh lord there was conflict at that first family of origin and just the whole process where they had to go and how they had to go in order to bring jesus to life and there's conflicts in all of our families lord and there's there's challenges and there's problems and there's struggles but we pray for a great attitude. We pray for, pray for great blessing and encouragement that we would take the gentle and specific and um, sometimes difficult steps to bring healthier brown boundaries and interdependence rather than codependence than to avoid triangulation and true truth and be wise and discerning about what we talk about during these family gatherings. What can bring a great appreciation after together and avoid attacks and assaults and and um, hot points, Lord, that we know are automatically going to bring dissension. So may you bless these, Lord, in our own family with uh, your spirit, your truth, your joy this Christmas season. Amen. Amen. The love and life hack for this week is prepare yourself. You're probably going to have heightened emotional responses and reactions to all kinds of family interactions So prepare yourself, and we hope that this conversation will help prepare you for connecting with your family at this most wonderful time of year. Thank you for joining us in 2022. We are so excited to see you in 2023. Love and Life is bringing Elliot on board more full-time. As you know, this is going to be exciting. We're also going to delve into other content areas that are critical for thriving in love and life. We're going to look at the research on nutrition, on exercise, on mindset, of course, but really bringing a more holistic approach to our conversations because, yes, I will always stand by my cognitive strategies and that's where we came up with the take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life, absolutely, but it's a lot easier to take charge of our thoughts and to therefore take responsibility for our emotional health and well-being and responses. It's a lot easier to do all that if we're nourishing our body and our spirit. 
Thank you for sharing a portion of your day and Christmas season with us. We really appreciate it. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.